One of the major duties we have as a children's hospital is to partner with our school systems. And that's something we're incredibly proud of, something we have a long history with, and something we will continue to do. Hello, this is Rob Hoyle, and thanks for tuning in to Northwell Health's 20-Minute Health Talk, where some of the brightest minds in healthcare help us break down the latest news and developments. I'm alongside my co-host, Chris Gazuski and our special guest, Dr. Charles Schlein. Dr. Schlein is chair of Northwell's Pediatrics, which includes an expansive ambulatory network and Cohen Children's Medical Center that is consistently ranked among the best children's hospital in the U.S. Dr. Schlein, welcome, and thanks for joining us. Rob, thanks so much, and I am, as always, uh, pleased to be here. And thanks, Dr. Schlein. Today, we're going to talk about a topic that's important to so many out there right now. It's important to parents. It's important to healthcare institutions, um, schools, and reopening. Uh, But before we get moving on that, uh, we just wanted to ask you, uh, how are you feeling? Uh, A couple of months ago, you had penned this great article that ran in the New York Times about your recovery from COVID yourself. How are you feeling? Uh, Well, uh, it's good news. I'm feeling great. In fact, my trainer told me this week that I'm probably in better shape now than I was in February. So I'll take that. But no, I'm feeling good. And it took a little while, but I've been working for a few months, still partially from home, but I'm coming into the hospital a lot. And uh, so it's all good. Good. Thanks for asking. Glad to have you back and see you back up on your feet. Um, So Rob, you have uh, college-age kids. I have yeah. elementary school-age kids. And, you know, this is a very, very hot topic, especially for us. You know, I can speak for, you know, from my personal experience. It was a very, very hard decision um, in terms of what mode, mode we would send our kids back to school. They offered the hybrid option. We had it all virtual. And I could say, you know, it was one of the toughest decisions because you got to really weigh the, the socialization versus, you know, what safety. I, um, it's, it's definitely unique. We eventually did go with the all virtual option. It was our personal experience. And that was really based on uh, our current situation. Not every family has that opportunity. You know, some of them have to send their kids. So Dr. Schlein, could you just tell us your thoughts on schools reopening in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, it's, uh, as you said, it is an incredibly hot topic. Uh, obviously, it affects millions of people, adults and kids across the country, whether you're a parent, you're a kid, you're a teacher, you're in somebody else who works in a, in a school. And uh, this is a difficult decision. You know, we've, as pediatric experts, we've really taken the stance that schools probably are going to reopen. And without really uh, having a strong opinion as to whether that's wise or not, uh, we've really been out there trying to help uh, in terms of how can we make the schools safer when they do reopen? What can we do to assure parents that they're doing the right thing by sending their kids to school or not? And uh, of course, helping the schools themselves, helping particularly teachers, school nurses, and, uh, and the rest. Yeah, I think what you say, follow the science or go with the science, you could look at a lot of things in life. You could look at cars and say it's very dangerous to drive a car. So many Americans die each year in car accidents. But if you wear your seatbelt, you drive the speed limit, you follow the rules of the road, you don't text, you don't drink and drive, you greatly reduce your chances of getting into an accident with serious injury or fatality. So I think that going back to school, we really got to make sure we follow the rules of the road, basically. 
Yeah, you know, there there are a few major issues that, that come up in thinking about the safety of school reopening. You know, the first one, and it's what we've been preaching out in the public, is mask wearing. And, of course, when it comes to kids, it's a little bit more problematic than it is with most adults, particularly the little kids. And we've been telling parents, and I'll say it today, you know, to practice with their young children, whether they're young or these are kids with special needs, et cetera, uh, to practice mask wearing and, and, and explain the importance and do it before the first day of school so that they're in gear uh, when it comes up. You know, the second issue, and this is probably the most difficult for schools, particularly a lot of the schools in the New York area that are sort of older schools, um, you know, we our major market includes Queens and Brooklyn and where there are a lot of old buildings. And the challenge of distancing during school time is going to be probably the biggest challenge for principals and teachers uh, having split sessions, not getting into large groups, spacing desks further apart, not going all going to gym class together, obviously not going to assembly, you know, in large auditoriums, even thinking about eating their meals in the classroom rather than in the cafeteria, all things that we're going to have to uh, really go move towards uh, in a way that... Um, is really going to be important. It's definitely not school as as our kids knew it. And I think that that was really one of the things that when we were weighing our decision, what is the experience going to be? And I think everybody has their own personal opinion on it, whether, you know, this is a value or not. So, but some of the schools across the country in some states like Georgia and Indiana, you know, they've tried it and they've already either had to quarantine kids and shut down. I mean, look at the University of North Carolina. You know, they started school and or they started in-person classes and they've already had to go virtual. So I guess that that begs the question, you know, if we say here in New York, you know, come September, we start seeing some cases. You know, what's the play there, Dr. Sloan? Yeah, I think the important thing here is to stay nimble and not be dogmatic about any particular situation. I mean, we know, for example, we're going to open assuming that things stay about the same over the next couple few weeks and the schools do open. Uh, what I mean by nimble is in a given classroom, kid has a fever, tests positive. What do we need to do? What do we need to do in terms of contact tracing, maybe quarantine a class? Um, these kinds of things are going to happen. Do we get to a certain rate of testing where we have to shut down a school system or a specific school? And I think our ability to test, I mean, all the things that have been said by, you know, recent local government officials, et cetera, is really going to be critical in terms of continuing to do the right thing. I think if the rates stay low and parents are um, on top of things, if a kid has a cold, a kid has a, a child has a low-grade fever, that they don't send their kid to school we can keep the kids safe. And hopefully that's what will happen. But it'll be sort of a class-to-class, school-to-school kind of decision. How does a health system like Northwell play a role in being a resource for schools, maybe even you know, help with guidance and also maybe even help putting some nurses or some, some clinicians in the schools? 
Yeah, the, I think we've been trying to do actually a lot in that, you know, just doing this, for example, I think is important. We've been doing a number of panels for school officials, for school teachers, school nurses, explaining the science, explaining what, uh, what we feel are the safest maneuvers to try to keep themselves and all of the children uh, safe. Um, we've been doing, you know, teach to teacher kinds of things, um, working with nursing groups, our community relations department at Northwell, a lot of what we're doing inside the department of pediatrics, uh, we have very close relations to all the school systems uh, in Nassau Suffolk County, as well as New York city. Uh, so we've been meeting with them locally and, you know, virtually, uh, to train them in proper techniques in how to distance, how to deal, how school nurses should deal, for example, with a child who may not be feeling well at school, how we isolate them immediately. Things with school officials in terms of ventilation, windows open in so far as that's possible, uh, potential use of filter systems uh, and all. We have a lot of consulting and advisory services that we're using. We're now doing fit testing for N95s for school nurses, which has uh, been great, and also helping uh, with PPE supplies uh, in the schools themselves. Yeah, you go into a school now, and it's really interesting. I was over at Hofstra University the other day, and you've got markers on the floor telling you which direction you should walk in, what staircase is an up staircase, which one is a down staircase, hand sanitizers just about everywhere. So I guess those constant reminders will be helpful for people to practice. But as somebody from the pediatric world, how important is that socialization for kids to be able to be together, to learn, to have that interaction and socialization? Well, look, frankly, from my own perspective as a pediatrician, I think that's probably the most compelling reason to reopen schools so that kids can get that socialization. Um, you know, from the older ones, it's clear they want to be with their friends. But even the younger ones, from a developmental perspective, I mean, it is important for, the, you know, we feel for them to be with other kids as long as it is safe. So, you know, we're caught in a bind in a bit, but that is probably the most compelling reason to try to do this. Any, uh, do you see any harms in, uh, so say the kids who did go to school and then they go to school now and it's nothing like they remembered, you know, they have to wear the mask all day and then they're in this like cubicle with the plexiglass. Do you see any kind of long-term, maybe, no, you know, mental health harms to our kids, you know, who are going to go experience school as, as it is? You know, now being the parent of a couple of 30-year-olds, um, what you recognize as a parent, kids are pretty resilient and they can pretty much handle almost anything that's almost anything that is thrown at them. Obviously, we don't want them to get sick and clearly we don't want them to transmit disease to their parents, their grandparents. But I think, Chris, from the perspective that you're asking, um, they, they are resilient and I think can handle a lot of that. And as a parent, it's probably important, again, to talk to your kids about what's coming. Things are not going to be exactly the same. And to expect the unexpected. They've already been witnessing it. They've already been living through it for the last few months. So they've had a lot of practice already that things are not the same. And, uh, 
you know, frankly, they will deal with it, I'm sure, much better than all of us who are out of school and uh, older. Yeah, they rebound quickly. Um, go ahead, Rob. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, it seems like the data shows us that kids handle the disease better, but there's always the fear that those kids can bring it home. You have school teachers who are older, principals, parents, grandparents, etc. Yeah, you know, the whole, and I've I've done a lot of work, uh, you know, both locally and with the media about disease in kids. And, you know, as you know, we as the center of the pandemic in the U.S. and really one of the centers uh, in the world in general, uh, you know, we were in the middle of everything going on with kids and their disease, you know, and it is very true. I mean, the disease has continued to be incredibly mild or non-existent from a symptom perspective in children. However, there are some kids who have gotten quite ill. The kids who do get symptomatic get admitted to the hospital. Many of them have been very ill, although we have not had a lot of fatality. That's been pretty rare. Um, it does exist in kids. And then, of course, we were one of the centers that not only reported on the original COVID experience in children, but also on the new disease, the uh, MISC, uh, in children, which, you know, is in a post-inflammatory COVID disease, which worried parents, rightly so. Um, you know, it turns out that most of these kids, almost all the kids, were treatable, although many did have pretty severe disease with heart issues and coronary artery aneurysms, but with the treatments that we typically apply to Kawasaki's disease, which is the disease it most was most similar to, um, almost all the kids have been fine. The issue is parents have to recognize that their kids have long periods of fever and maybe some of the other symptoms of that of that disease and bring their kid to medical attention. And that was the importance so that they can be treated. You know, when they have MISC, they have not been infectious. It's a post-infectious thing. Uh, most of them have had, you know, they all have had antibodies to COVID. So we know that they had it at one point and in almost every case uh, were asymptomatic when they had their original COVID infection. Yeah, we saw that. That was pretty scary when that came out in the news. And it seems like it's really not at the forefront of the news anymore. Is that something we're seeing less of? Is it something that we're seeing in, in New York? We saw it. Is it something that's happening in other states now, as far as we know? It is happening. It, we, we showed it in our publication in the Journal of Pediatrics. We have a beautiful graph that shows that it occurs about four to five weeks after the peak of the disease. And so as COVID went away in New York, this disease went away in New York. But yes, uh, are, other areas where there has been active disease, uh, they have been seeing the disease. That leads us to one of our segments called Top 3. So what do you think the top three things that healthcare can help schools educate students this fall or this year for that matter? Well, you know, I think from a health organization perspective and having been in the center, I think one is the education for everybody. What are the facts? What are the things that that have been proven or not proven yet? Like, for example, we don't really understand why kids don't get the disease as adults do. 
and we're actually beginning to do some of the science. So education is going to be key, whether that's to teachers, importantly to parents. Okay. Training these folks, number two, I think is and the kind of thing that we're doing and you guys have continued to do and we've done in a number of panels, et cetera. Again, nurses, teachers, what to do, some of the things we covered over this last few minutes, uh, I think is really key. And then do does everybody have the appropriate resources to do this correctly? Um, you know, the preparation in the school itself. You, you know, Rob, you mentioned, you know, partitions we, we talked about, you know, arrows and staircases. Um, you know, we've talked to schools, as I said, about filter systems, uh, you know, having the right PPE for the nurses inside the school, some schools using temperature screenings, uh, et cetera. Um, so I think education, training, proper resource are probably the, uh, uh, I would say, the, the top three. Yeah, and I, and I can, I know what here at Northwell, we have Northwell Direct, which is a business arm of, of the health system. And we've really been working with local school districts, predominantly here on Long Island, to offer a lot of the services you just mentioned, you know, the temperature screenings. I think it was just last week, there was something like 16 school districts reached out and they wanted to have the nurses and teachers, uh, you know, for the N95 fit testing. We're also connecting them with our uh, GPO to get some discounted pricing on PPE. A GPO is a group purchasing organization that the health system has. I think it's it's really going to be uh, it, that phrase. It might might sound cliche, you know, it takes a village. But I, in this case, I, I kind of think it it really will take a village to get us through this next experience we're going to have with the pandemic. And that moves us along to our next segment, which is knee-jerk reactions. So, doctor, I want to hit you with a couple of phrases and just give me your immediate reaction. So, number one, COVID is not a problem with kids. You know, it's a relative issue. Um, as we said, most kids will not get sick. There are kids who have chronic health issues, and they could. Clearly, we know at least the older kids can transmit this to their parents or grandparents or other adults with chronic health problems. And so it is something we need to be concerned about. Okay, next up, schools can reopen safely. We hope so. And I think every school needs to do the best job they can to prepare. Masks and kids. Incredibly important. And I think, again, having parents practice with their kids and getting those masks on before they go to school is going to be critical in terms of keeping the kids with masks at school. Healthcare's partnership with schools. We kind of just touched on that. Yeah, and clearly we are, we feel one of the major duties we have as a children's hospital and clearly as a health system is to partner with our school systems. And uh, that's something we're incredibly proud of, something we have a long history with and something we will continue to do. Kids and vaccines. Wow, you had to ask that last, <laughs> huh? <laughs> well, you know, Kids will probably not be tested in this first phase. And it is possible that vaccines will come to market without being approved in kids yet. I can't predict that one way or another, but there is a real possibility that can happen. A little scary. Yeah. But to end on a positive note, which we like to do here at 20 Minute Health Talk, um, you know, the vaccine, there's been a lot of talk about it. As you just mentioned, we don't know if kids will be tested 
I guess regardless of your situation, whether health systems have eased back into normal operations or enduring the patient surges that are happening in the West and in the South, what do you think our listeners can be can be positive about moving forward? Give us an optimistic takeaway here. Yeah, I you know, I look, I think the fact that from a public health perspective, we've been doing the right thing locally here in New York and New York State and we have not seen a resurgence of disease is really a wonderful, hopeful thing that this pandemic will run its course if we can get everybody to do the right things from a public health perspective Uh, soon. We will need to be smart about school reopening and not make that a major focus of new disease. The other thing I think, and we haven't talked about, but I feel, you know, as a pediatrician and a chair of pediatrics, I need to say is that the hospitals locally here and the doctor offices are really safe now. And we know that we now have, you know, weeks of experience where uh, we've had no disease coming out of uh, hospitals and doctor offices. And when your kid needs medical care, and you adults also, Um, It's incumbent on you to seek that care and also to vaccinate your children. Um, We we know we actually just uh, published uh, uh, some reports on low vaccination rates over these last five months. And uh, we don't want to see epidemics of uh, measles and uh, pertussis, et cetera, um, in our kids. And so getting your kids vaccinated and to the normal schedule, and I'm not talking about COVID vaccines, I'm talking about everything else, is really going to be important. So I thank you for allowing me to uh, have the time to say that. Yeah, we really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much, doctor. So for Rob Hoyle, I am Chris Kazuski. Thank you for listening. This is 20-Minute Health Talk. Get more expert insights from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20-Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts.